Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, uh, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to continue our uh, three-week uh, brief uh, sermon series looking at what we call the Christmas prayers. The Christmas prayers, prayers of those who were around during the time of Jesus' coming into the world and the things that they prayed and seeking our goal to, to learn from those those prayers. Uh, really, as we looked last week at the prayer of Mary, we looked this week at the prayer of Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father. Uh, next week, as we look at the prayer of Simeon, we're, we're trying to do this at, le- at least uh, threefold in our goals. One is maybe a fresh lens on some familiar uh, things for us. Most of us in, in our uh, culture probably generally familiar with the idea of Jesus coming into the world. Maybe don't uh, totally grasp all of the importance of him coming as fully God, fully man, that, that he had to come to, to live a righteous life, had to be uh, fully God, to, to be able to provide infinitely for the righteousness that we all need. He had to, to be uh, God in, as a righteous one, and then he had to be in human form so that he could take our place and be our substitute. So, so, so we get at some level that idea uh, the, the prayers that, that those around the time of Jesus are praying give us kind of a fresh lens on that, a fresh way to look at it and think about it. Probably also provide for us a specific application for something that perhaps many of us uh, would say we want to do. I, I imagine many of us saying, hey, th- this, this time, I, I know we're leading into Christmas. Uh, I'd love for it to be a time where myself, my family, those around me would be able to grow closer to the Lord. That's something that probably many of us desire. We know maybe that's part of the idea of this season is that we'd experience what it means for Christ to work in our lives in a more powerful way. Uh, The the idea of prayer gives us a specific application for that. Otherwise, that sort of can be a little bit general. We we don't know uh, what it looks like to actually do that. Well, how do we draw close to God? One of the ways Scripture tells us is through prayer. He gives us the gift, the blessing of what's called the means of grace of of prayer. So we can draw close to him that way. It gives us a specific application of something we want to do. And then I would say tis the season in our church. Tis the season in our church for prayer in general, not just Christmas prayers, but uh, there's uh, difficulties and challenges that folks in our congregation are facing. Uh, That's a regular thing. It seems there's a number of those things landing right now, and it'd be good for us to pray for one another in that way, in a general sense. And then we've got opportunities before us, too, not just struggles, but opportunities. This missions month coming up, a great time for us to connect with the Lord and get his heart for mission. What a what a great way to come out of our Christmas season. Jesus coming into the world to redeem, to rescue. And and then we get to think about our missional calling to be sent out into our world to reach those around us and. And to help folks go all around the world to reach others with the message of Christ. So, so we, we've got opportunities coming before. So all of that tells me it's a good time to pray. It's a good time to learn about prayer, to think about prayer, and to look at, at Advent season through the lens of, of prayer. And so we're going to do that this morning um, through a passage, a prayed a prophecy, I guess it would be, a prayer of praise by uh, Zechariah. A little background, Zechariah is uh, John the Baptist's father. He was ministering. Uh, he was fulfilling his priestly responsibilities and going into the temple. This is earlier in Luke. We're not going to read this part, so you need a little bit of this background. He gets a promise from God that he and his wife, Elizabeth, are going to uh, give birth to his son, John, John the Baptist. And uh, Zechariah doesn't believe that it's going to happen. 
So he sort of has a destructive doubt that way. Doesn't believe what God is saying to him is true. And God, you know, could probably just strike him down for that. But God chooses to uh, be a little bit more gentle in his correction of Zechariah. And he simply renders him mute. Unable to speak for the remainder of Elizabeth's pregnancy until right before the verses we're going to read today. Right before the verses we read today, John the Baptist is born and, uh, and, and Zechariah's tongue is loosed as he affirms uh, words of faith, believes God's promise by naming his son John, even though his son, I guess, should have been Zechariah because he was junior, uh, but named him John in fulfilling God's promise. And then God freed up his tongue. And this is the first thing that, uh, that he says uh, to us. So uh, listen along as I read aloud uh, these verses, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 79. And John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and he's redeemed his people and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Talking about John the Baptist. And listen to what John the Baptist is going to do. For you will go uh, before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sun shall sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray again. Father, we asked specifically for you to guide and direct us this time in your word in inform our prayers. Let our uh, prayer life be informed by Zachariah's prayers. And Lord, would all of that be, as you intend it, downstream from Christ? The reality of who Christ is informs this prayer by Zechariah. And so we pray that as we are informed by Zechariah's prayer, that Christ would be infused into our prayer life in a more deep way to your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how competitive uh, your family is. We've got a fairly competitive nature in the Peters family, especially me and and the boys. And we can make a contest out of uh, just about everything. And though, you know, definitely the oldest one is probably catching up to me pretty good in the foot races, may have even surpassed me. I I can still uh, beat him in one of our, our competitions that we do from time to time, even post pulmonary embolism. I can I can well outlast them in the hold your breath category. 
It's a fantastic uh, contest. It can occupy a, a bit of time. I can go well over a minute still. I don't know where you are in the hold your breath category. But, you know, as I thought about that and thought about our passage this week, and maybe you don't make competitions out of holding your breath. I don't know why you don't, but maybe you don't. Uh, you think about the last time, maybe in your younger years when you were out swimming and somebody thought it'd be funny to, you know, take you and dunk you under the water or you're at the lake. Somebody sneaks under you and grabs that leg and pulls you under when you weren't quite ready to take a breath. And then you're stuck under there and you're, you know, all you can do is yearn to get to the top of that water, right? To take that breath, to breathe in and to breathe out. I thought about it because Zachariah has got a similar experience, but it's, it's with his voice. It's with his voice. Now, we can think of other limitations and probably some that would even be more difficult and, and debilitating. Uh, but imagine going without the ability to, to speak for a while, to not be able to say anything. And then, and then what I think is most interesting to think about it is, you know, when you do get that chance to come up out of that water and take that breath or finally take that breath after holding your breath or speak for the first time, imagine Zechariah's joy, the things that he wanted to say, the things that were on his heart. He was forced to be silent for a while, to meet with God, to hear from God. And, and these are the first words that come out of his mouth. So powerful words, good words for us to hear from. And as we uh, look at the passage today, I guess the key things that I want us to look at is what this prayer teaches us about really three key things. If you want to turn in the back of your worship guide, we don't have a, a ton of time to dig into it this morning, but we will uh, touch on each of these points. We, we want to look at what this prayer teaches us as, as we're hearing Zechariah for this first time after his voice has been silent for a while. He gives us this prayer that we can learn from. What does he say about salvation? What does he say about the fulfillment, number two, of the promises that God is bringing to bear? And then number three, what does this teach us uh, through the preparation that John the Baptist is going to make for Christ? What does it teach us about how we should pray, about how God can minister through us to us through prayer and how we ought to praise him? You know, the first thing that's uh, interesting to me before we even uh, dive into to all of that is to look at Zechariah in terms of this issue of doubt. Probably all of us, if we're honest, and I'm sure I've talked about it from up here before, we have places of doubt in our life, probably about a lot of different things, but certainly about spiritual matters. And I always think it's interesting to and I've had some interesting lunch conversations, even with some of you all uh, recently about this idea of uh, destructive doubt versus constructive or productive doubt. Okay. Uh, productive doubt, uh, you know, Zechariah, we kind of see an example of sort of destructive doubt. We all would say, oh, if God just appeared to me. I'd believe him. Right. I have a little trouble believing his, you know, maybe the scriptures sometimes uh, have a little bit of trouble with that. But if he just came into my life and appeared to me, then I surely I'd believe him. Well, Zechariah shows us that's not really the case. He, God does come to him. And yet. He doesn't really believe. So he's he's kind of bent. His doubt is such that he's bent and determined that even if God appears to me, I'm not going to believe that. Now, presumably, he realizes his mistake pretty quick. Right. Once his voice is shut up, he probably started to rethink that one. Well, maybe I should kind of revisit my my view of doubt. But there's also sort of constructive doubt. And and we it's good for us to tease these things apart a little bit. Uh, we might have questions, I guess, about how a particular passage of Scripture or truth would be applied in our life. 
We might wrestle with that and, and have difficulty understanding it. There's things in the Bible that are that are paradoxes that we have questions about. We may never have a, a certainty and fulfillment of, of getting the whole idea. Somebody coming fully God and fully man is a matter that we know is true because the Bible teaches it and because of the impact that Christ has had in our world. But it's a paradox. It's not a, something you can easily put together and understand. So uh, doubt's not in itself bad when it when it drives us towards truth, when it drives us to have ears to to hear and to listen. And it's interesting to see uh, Zechariah, even though he's initially got this destructive doubt thing going on, as he comes out of that and sort of expresses faith by naming his son John as God had commanded him to, look at verse 67 and see what happens for him. It says in verse 67 that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting, too, an important background. In some circles, that idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit maybe goes along with a sort of two-tiered Christianity. There's those that are in the church and are believers and those that are really believers that are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's obviously some problems with that way of thinking. Maybe others would have perspective that certain spiritual gifts go along with that. And if you're not exhibiting those gifts and you're not really filled with the Holy Spirit. Or people might say, you've got to kind of get to a certain level spiritually. And then you'll get the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, I, I think scriptures would encourage all of us to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. But the interesting thing here is it's, it's something that God blesses Zechariah with. God chooses to fill him with his spirit for him to proclaim this message. So uh, that's a reminder to us as well that we ought, to, we ought to listen to what he has to say. This is a moment when God poured out his spirit for Zechariah to pray this particular prayer, and then and we can learn from what, what he's praying. So let's, let's take a few moments and, and dive into to what he does pray. The first thing we see is that he, he prays about the reality of salvation. And just a couple of things to highlight for you here. Take a look at verses 68 and 69 uh, with me in this, uh, in this passage. It says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And then it lists three different things that are uh, a prism uh, lenses through which we can view this issue of salvation. He's visited us. He's redeemed his people and he's raised up a horn of salvation. So three things that maybe again, let's, let's have a fresh vision, not only for Christmas, but how we can pray about the truths of Jesus coming into the world. Well, one thing we can pray is praise God that he's visited us. Man, it, it's a lonely thing to journey through life. Uh, many of us, even here, if you've got a, a spouse, a spouse that loves you, you have uh, maybe kids, kids in your, your family environment. Even with all of that going on, even you're not living off in the mountains by yourself, life and the things of the heart and the issues we wrestle with, is lonely sometimes. Christmas time can be some of the loneliest time for us. Maybe some here, I know of some of you, have lost a loved one this last year. And coming in through Thanksgiving and coming into Christmas, you feel that absence of that person that uh, meant uh, so much to you. So that it is a lonely thing. And then just life in general is that way. What a beautiful thing. That, that part of the message of Christmas is that Jesus visits us. He comes into the world and draw near, draws near to us. Emmanuel, 
God with us. He's close to you and to me. We can pray about that to God. We can give thanks to him. That's part of his salvation. He's visited us. He's redeemed his people. That's a word that's, you know, kind of one of those churchy things, and we probably know it has ideas related to salvation, but it's, it's, it's more specific than that. Uh, redemption was part of the ancient world, and it was the word for purchasing someone out of slavery. So if someone was enslaved and you wanted to uh, free them from that, you paid the price and bought them out of that, and then they're liberated. So when it says he's redeemed us, it's not just some general idea, he's He's, in fact, giving himself. We know that Christ comes into the world to give himself to purchase us, to rescue us out of that. And then it goes on and it says he's the he comes as the the horn of salvation. And that, there we get into a real sort of Bible word. I mean, what what does that mean? You know, horn is he you know tooting the horn, blowing a horn. What is that? Biblically, the horn was the idea kind of like uh, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. The, the horns were the power of the. The bull of the animal. That was the idea. So when the Bible says the horn of something, it's just talking about the, the power. I, I thought about it this way with this idea of visiting, redeeming, and, and, uh, and raising up a horn. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing for somebody to stop by your house, pay you a visit, and maybe drop off a Christmas treat. All right? And maybe they've paid some money to get that Christmas treat. But lo and behold, it's in a jar and maybe it's sealed up. Maybe it's some nice jelly or some special treats, and it's all sealed up. I don't know how many of you, you know, men still, you know, we, we know we're still valuable men because we get the call from time to time. If for nothing else in our household, open this jar, please. Help me open this jar. So, you know, you, you get and you open that jar. You've got to have the power to open that to enjoy what's in it. I almost see that picture here. God's visited us. He's redeeming us. He's paid a price to redeem us. But there's got to be power for that to actually become a reality in our lives. Let's think about that as we uh, pray this next week. As we gather as a, a family, units, households, maybe as couples, uh, as individuals, uh, maybe getting together with uh, folks over the holidays. That, that one of the things we can praise God for is just the reality of salvation that comes through Christ. He's visited, redeemed us, and he's brought the power of salvation. Second thing we see in these verses is the message of tremendous fulfillment. This is interesting, folks. I, I've never done, I haven't done a study of these Christmas prayers. This is something that I just kind of was reading through, and I thought this would be, a, like I said, a fresh take on it. So I didn't, I didn't plan this ahead of time. We saw last week, if you happen to be here with us, in the prayer by Mary, that she makes reference in the last couple of verses. Well, you can look right back there, verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. There's something about her Christmas prayer that is looking back on what God has done and rejoicing for how he's fulfilled it today. Look at the, the meat. So it's a little almost an addendum, we might say, to Mary's prayer. Look at the meat of Zechariah's prayer. Verse 70 all the way down to 75. We won't read all of it, but, but look with me there. It says, as he spoke by the mouth of who? The holy prophets. From when? From of old. That we should be saved from our enemies. It goes on, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to who? To our fathers. Way back when? Uh, that he swore on an oath to Abraham. This is this message of 
fulfillment, that there's this bigger picture of what's going on. There's this background to who Jesus is. I thought about it uh, yesterday and, and how strange for a kind of low culture of guy like me in, in the space of two or three weeks to make two nutcracker references. I'm feeling real cultured with ballet and all of these things. So we went to the Nutcracker yesterday, the afternoon showing, Patience and I, and, uh, and watched the production. And we, it's been years since we've gone, and we used to go regularly in St. Louis. But, but uh, it's amazing how they can still do in the ballet context things that they kind of do with special effects now on shows and on flat screens. You know, the opening part of the Nutcracker is this uh, getting the Nutcracker doll, and then the girl goes to sleep uh, by the Christmas tree, and then she goes presumably, I guess, into this dream world where she's experiencing these princes and all these fantastic figures and dancers from all these places. Well, you know how they 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 bring it in. They they bring in the out the context. They set it up at the beginning, and then and then the way they sort of highlight it is the Christmas tree that's over in the corner. At least in every production I've ever seen, is just a a tiny you know tree at the beginning and then when she goes into her dream world there's kind of a dramatic moment even in the music and they stretch the tree and they stretch the tree more and they stretch the tree more until it's all the way up at sort of the ceiling of the stage set and the idea is that you're kind of okay you've got this background and now you're zooming in on this particular place at the sort of base of the tree where all this dream world is going to play out. And I think about that with the fulfillment of God's promises. You've, you've got that, that background, and, and whether it's Mary or Zechariah, they're, they're praying and they're thinking about the fact that God's had this plan, this purpose, all the way back from Adam and Eve. When, when man has wandered away and fallen into sin and been cast out of the garden, that, that God, through the kings of the Old Testament and through the promise of the land and all the way up through Christ, is going to bring about the fulfillment of his promises for his people. Isn't it amazing that you and I get to kind of sit at the feet of that tree? And get to see how it's enlarged, the whole full picture of it. And, and you and I get to sit there today. So many years after these promises were made, we get to experience that grace. Do so you feel the weight of that? you feel the impact of that for you and I? So, so as we're praying this Christmas season, let's, let's pray as those who recognize that we are, we are in a way downstream and a huge wave of blessing that we get to enjoy. That's the fulfillment of promises from ages and centuries gone by. That ought to give us confidence in our prayer, and that ought to add weight to our prayer. Well, what, uh, what is the last part of these uh, verses? Take a look with me at verses 76 and following, and then we'll, we'll close with those. It tells us what specifically John the Baptist is coming to do. And I think it's interesting. He's coming, it tells us, to declare something about Christ, all right, he's going to be the prophet of the Most High God, and you'll go before whom? It says in verse 76, go before the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, come into the world. Uh, how's he going to do this? John the Baptist is going to go and, and proclaim a knowledge of salvation. That's what Jesus came to do. Then we might ask, okay, what kind of salvation is it going to be? Is it going to be governmental salvation? Are we going to be saved from the, uh, the earth uh, decaying and environmental uh, damage? Are we going to be saved from economic issues? Are we going to be saved primarily from injustice issues? You know, God probably cares in some form or fashion about all of those things. But listen to what it says, that we're going to be saved. What's our primary issue that we need rescue from? The forgiveness of sins in verse 77. That's what Jesus is going to come to do. 
Is he going to give those uh, that forgiveness of sins to those who earn it, who can really demonstrate that they're serious about their spiritual life and and they can do certain spiritual things to show their commitment or be the perfect moral exemplars and therefore uh, justify God's forgiveness? Not at all. Look at verse 78. Why is he going to do this? Because of his tender mercy. What a picture of how God loves you and me. Uh, any here who have put our trust in Christ, surrendered our life to him, recognized our need for him, that he comes with tender mercy. And then what will the result be? It says, his sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to you and me who often wrestle with darkness and sit in a dark world and to guide us in the way of peace. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we uh, went through these uh, powerful and meaty verses uh, quickly this morning. But there is much there to inform our prayer relationship with you and to be used. I pray for uh, fathers and mothers here, husbands and wives, uh, friends, peers, uh, small group members to take these words and let these words be on our lips, be in our minds. Uh, the next several weeks as we pray together, as we lead others in prayer, that uh, we would be enriched in our walk with you, that we'd be able to extend and share this gospel message as well. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.